Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. we go to God's Word and hear from Him. And uh, last week we finished our uh, series for, for the time being until next fall on the life of Moses uh, with the song of Moses. And today is uh, actually uh, what has come, come to be known as Fulfillment Sunday. Some of you may have grown up in traditions that uh, follow the church calendar. Uh, others of you may not be as familiar with it, but uh, Advent actually is the beginning of the church year. And so next Sunday, we'll begin the beginning of the church year as we begin to th- focus on the, the uh, birth of Jesus and thinking about his second coming. But uh, in this, uh, uh, this Sunday, uh, f- uh, Fulfillment Sunday or Christ the King Sunday, the church has traditionally remembered his second coming and looked forward to that day when he will fulfill all of the promises that he has given to us as his people. And so uh, we, uh, I'd like to begin this year and every year hereafter to focus this Sunday on heaven and to deliberately think about what it is that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth. And today we'll hear from the prophet Isaiah who 800 years before the coming of Christ prophesied the new heavens and the new earth. And so I invite you to stand please as we, sit, as we uh, hear from God's word from Isaiah chapter 65. We'll begin reading in verse 17. This is God's word. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would come to us with power and conviction and clarity, and that our hearts might be pierced by it so that we will turn in repentance and faith to Jesus and be refreshed and renewed by him and his promise to bring the new heavens and the new earth. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
1997, a movie came out that's uh, still one of my favorites uh, to, to this day. I was thinking after the first service, that was 25 years ago. doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's been 25 years. It's called As Good As It Gets. It's a film that stars Jack Nicholson, and he is a reclusive author who struggles with OCD. He washes his hands with a new bar of soap every time he washes his hands. Every time he locks the door, he locks it six or seven times to make sure that it's actually closed. And so as a way to, to help him with this issue, he goes to see a psychiatrist on a regular basis. And there's one scene in which he uh, barges into his psychiatrist's office without an appointment and says, you've got to help me, you've got to help me. And the psychiatrist says, no, that's not the way this works. You've got to make an appointment and come in. And so he kicks him out. He kicks him out into the waiting room, and as he's walking through the waiting room, he sees six or seven people that are sitting there waiting to go into the psychiatrist's office. And you can tell they're very shaken and very troubled people because they, they're there to see the psychiatrist. And he stops and looks at them and says, what if this is as good as it gets? And everybody in the room has this look of horror on their face because they think, what if he's right? What if this is as good as it gets? What if I've reached the pinnacle of my happiness? What if my struggle is as good as it gets and it's never going to get any better than it is right now? Perhaps you've wondered the same thing at times in your own life. What, when patterns of behavior in your life that you struggle with, that you, do, that you want to discontinue, that, that they don't change? or that they don't change nearly as fast as you want them to. When the culture around you seems to be heading in the completely wrong direction. Or when you overcome some problem or issue in your marriage or in your personal life or at work or in your other relationships, you overcome it, you think, thank you, Lord, for that. And then another one, even bigger, pops up in its, in its place. Like the Greek mythological monster, the hydra, that you cut its heads off, and then every time you cut a head off, another one grows, and it it continues to have ten heads. The only thing worse than facing the problems and sufferings and difficulties of our life is to face them with this nagging fear that it's never going to get any better than it is right now. The prophet Isaiah here in chapter 65 is speaking to a group of people who likely ask that same question. The nation of Israel had collectively turned away from the Lord who had founded them and had given them the land of Canaan. And part of Isaiah's message in the earlier chapters of this book was that they were about to be sent into exile into Babylon as a result of God's judgment. See, the kings of Israel had turned away from the Lord. They had worshipped idols. The priests were also mixing the worship of God with the worship of Baal and other idols. They were, the priests were even getting drunk on the job. And so Isaiah's message to them was, guys, this is, you're headed in the wrong direction. And here is a warning. You're going to go into exile. The average Israelite didn't even know the word of God, didn't even know the law of God, much less be able to follow it in their daily lives. And as the clouds of God's judgment began to build on the horizon of their nation, many likely wondered, is this it? Is this going to get any better for us? Or are we we going to continue to head in the wrong direction? 
And it's into that context that the Lord, through Isaiah, speaks the promises that we just read. Of a new heavens and a new earth. And the purpose of these words for Israel and the purpose of them for us today uh, is to give hope to a people who feel like they're stuck. And if you're feeling stuck this morning, then I want you to hear these promises in a fresh way. I want you to hear the promises of the Father of what awaits all of his children who trust in him of a new heavens and the new earth. And what I want, what my prayer is, is that the, that the Lord would use these words to replace the fear in our hearts, the fear that says, what if this is as good as it gets? To replace that fear with, as he says in verse 19, rejoicing, rejoicing in Jerusalem, rejoicing in the new heavens and the new earth. So what do you need to know about the promise of the new heavens and the new earth to be able to rejoice, to be able to turn away from fear and turn towards rejoicing. Well, the first thing you need to know is you, you need to know that the new heavens and the new earth are truly new. They're truly new. What does it mean that these are new heavens and new earth? Well, Isaiah in verse 17, he uses the word create to describe how God brings about these new heavens and the new earth. And that word create ought to make us think about Genesis chapter 1. In fact, the first verse of the Bible in which God says, in which Moses writes, and the God create, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's all very evident to us that everything around us has been created by God as a special creation by Him. And that tells us a couple of important things about the new heavens and the new earth. It tells us that the new heavens and the new earth that that await us are something that God Himself has created. The new heavens and the new earth are not something we bring about by our efforts. Not something that we can try through our own ingenuity or our own efforts, our own technology, bring into, uh, bring into or create or, or build. The new heavens and the new earth need to be created by God just as the first heavens and the first earth were created by God in His power, in His power alone. But the fact that God creates the new heavens and the new earth, it also tells us something about our current state. The first heavens and the first earth of which we are a part don't just need a makeover. They don't just need a few small adjustments here and there to get us to where God has promised to bring us. No, it's, we are dead and in need of an entirely new life. We need to be raised from the dead to new life if we are going to have the new life that God has promised to us. And that doesn't mean that God just wipes out the old entirely and just destroys it and then builds something new in its place. Rather, the promise of the Bible is that God renews his original creation to the original glory that he intended for it. The best example I can think that captures this idea is the idea of an old house. Imagine for a minute that tomorrow you go out and you buy a hundred-year-old house here in Bogota. There's probably a few of them that are still around. Now, you have, cho- you have a choice as you move into a 100-year-old house. You, you, have, you have three choices, actually. The first choice is that you can live in it and you can deal with the problems as they come up. You can fix the leak in the roof when it starts to rain, which never happens here, by the way, right? 
You can paint over the mold stains on the wall. You can fix the drafty window. As you notice that the floor is shaking, you can shore up the foundation here and there, but you just live with it. You know that there are big problems, you know, but, the, but they're all behind the walls. You can't see them, and so you just fix the stuff that looks nice, and you live there. You deal with the small problems as they come up. Option two is, of course, to just level it and get rid of it turn it into a pile of rubble, haul it off to the dump, and then build something brand new in its place. And it may not look anything like the old, but it'll be new, and it'll be nice. But you lose something, right? You lose the original glory of the house. You have, people don't drive by and, and think, wow, look at that beautiful old house. They look, look at that brand new thing. And the third option, of course, is to renovate it, to respect the original creator, the original design, but to renew it new plumbing, new electrical, new foundation, all the new stuff that it needs. And so, so as you walk around, you recognize the, the glory of the house, the, the original. It's, it's even better than it, than it was originally built because it's new. It's got all the new systems that it needs to be a functioning and, and great house, but with the original glory of the original. That's what God has promised to do in the new heavens and the new earth to restore you and to restore this creation to the original glory that he intended for it. But the problem is that you and I often try to live our lives after that first option that I mentioned with the old house. We know there are deep problems behind the walls. We know that it's hidden under the foundation. And while the visitors to our house may not be able to see it very clearly because we've patched up here and there, we've made adjustments here and there, we know that the small adjustments just don't do the trick. We know that there, there is a root problem that needs to be addressed and that can only be addressed by the resurrection power of Jesus. And if you are a Christian this morning, then God has raised you from the dead spiritually. God has raised your soul from the dead, and he has promised that when Jesus returns, that he will also raise your body from the dead and reunite it together with your soul to live in this new heavens and new earth as a fully resurrected, fully renewed, fully new creature in this new creation. And so rejoice, because God has made you new if you're a believer in Jesus this morning. So that's the first thing you need to know, that the new heavens and the new earth are truly new. But the second thing you need to know is that the new heavens and the new earth will be a place where the curse is reversed, where the curse is fully reversed. Isaiah uses a number of different images in this text to communicate to his readers what it is that God is promising to do. If you were to be playing Pictionary with your friends and get the word heaven that you have to describe or that you would have to draw on a piece of paper, it'd be difficult, wouldn't it? But the only thing that you could do is you, could, you, would, you would have to appeal to images that your audience knew and were familiar with in order to get them to guess that word. Well, that's what Isaiah is doing here. He's pulling images from the past, from Israel's past, in order to get them to think about what God has uh, promised to, to do for them. Look at a few of them with me. In verse 20, he says, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. Verse 21, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. 
Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. Where's he getting these images? He's not giving us a wooden description of what it's going to be like in the new heavens and new earth. He's pulling these images from the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, God had had warned Israel that if they were to turn away from him, that all of these curses were going to befall them. And uh, listen to a few of them as as, uh, Moses describes them in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28.30 says, You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Verse 41, You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. And those are just a few of a long list of an entire chapter full of curses that God uses to warn the people of Israel. And so what Isaiah is doing is he's pulling those and he's saying all those curses that you're going to experience as you're sent into exile, God is going to undo. God is going to reverse. And not only are you not going to feel the pain of the curses that have come because of your sin, God's going to reverse them and give you the exact opposite. So instead of building a house and letting, having someone else live in it, you're going, to build in it, you're going to build a house and you'll get to enjoy it yourself. I know many of you have experienced the weight of the curse in your own life. People you love have died well short of what we would all consider to be a full life. And the pain of their death is made all the more painful because of all, the, all of the things, all of the events, all the people that they miss by not being here. Some of you have outlived your children, suffered miscarriages. You've worked for things, degrees, promotions, building businesses, only to have something happen that just wipes them away. Companies close. Entire markets vanish overnight. Natural disasters destroy harvests, destroy homes that you've spent time building. Wars and corrupt politicians destroy entire countries, sending them into ruin. As Lauren was talking earlier, I was thinking the, the folks that Wahoro's working with have experienced the curse in profound ways as they've lost livelihoods because of violence. We have friends from Venezuela who live in the U.S. now who uh, very literally built a house there, spent all, all of their savings building a house, and then they just had to leave it, to walk away as they fled the country and someone else is living in it. Some of you have invested decades raising kids only to watch them as adults say, I don't want anything to do with the things that you've taught me to value, the things you've taught me to believe, walked away from the faith. And even if you haven't experienced any of those particular tragedies that I've just described, you know the feeling of frustration and futility in your life. That nagging feeling that always asks you, does my life make any difference? Does the pain and the toil of waking up every morning to face all of the struggles that I have to face, does that add up to anything? Is that going anywhere? If so, then you know the feeling of living under the curse. 
But in the new heavens and the new earth, that will all be turned around. It will all be reversed. And not only will the pain and the evil be absent from our experience, as I've mentioned, we will experience the very opposite. The reversal will be so complete, so evident that God promises that the former things The pain, the disappointment, the frustration, the loss. He says, the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And that's hard to believe, isn't it? Because many of you, I know when you look back on your life and you think, what are the most defining moments for me? What are the things that really stick out that that I remember? My guess is that that the small handful of things that you have held onto and that feel most defining for you are the most painful moments of your life. The most profound losses. Those are the things that mark your soul in a way that you think, that has affected me so deeply. And God says, you won't remember them. They'll be a thing of the past. And that what will define you will be the fact that you're a new creature in Christ. It says that the joys that await us will erase in some strange way, the pain of living in this present age. So you need to know that the curse will be reversed. And finally, third, you need to know that the new heavens and the new earth will be a place where God is near. It will be a place where God is near. I don't know about you, but often when I think about heaven, I think about the, uh, the, the physical blessings, those physical descriptions, descriptions like these, the lion and the lamb lying down together, the lion eating straw, straw like the ox, the streets of gold that John describes, the temple made of, uh, uh, of jewels and gold and, and the sea of glass. I think about those physical things. But there's one blessing that pervades all of them that is really the central blessing of why heaven is going to be such a great place to be. And Isaiah alludes to it in verse 24. He says, Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. You've all been in those relationships before where as you get to know somebody, you begin to anticipate their needs. You don't do that with strangers. You don't know what they need. But as you get to know your spouse, as you get to know your family members. Sometimes I don't even have to ask for something, and you know what they need. You know they need a hug. You know they need a cup of coffee before you talk to them in the morning. You can anticipate their needs because you're near to them relationally. And that's what God says the new heavens, that will categorize the new heavens and the new earth. Because So much of the pain of living in this age has to do not so much with the pain that we experience, but the pain that we feel where we feel like God is far off in the midst of our pain, where we feel like he is inaccessible to us, where we feel like we can't reach out and and grab him and, and take advantage of him, and that he's not near enough to care or not near enough to do anything about the pain that we experience. But Isaiah says, not so in the new heavens and the new earth, that God will be so near that he will be able to anticipate our needs before we are even able to utter them, before we even ask for them. God will be there not only to know what we need, but to provide us with whatever it is that we ask. 
Friends, God himself is the greatest joy of heaven. Seeing the face of Jesus, being able to touch him as Thomas did, being able to see with our eyes what we've only been able to pray to and not be able to see while we live here. When bread and wine will be not needed anymore as physical tokens of God's love, but the person of Jesus will be there in his body so that we can see his face and see the Father's love in his face. But the best news about heaven that you need to know is that you don't have to wait to begin to know those blessings. Heaven is not something that is merely far away, merely something that is purely future for us. Yes, there are many aspects of what Isaiah describes here that still, yes, exist in our future that we still don't know fully. But God promised that when he sent his son, Jesus, to earth for the first time, that he brought with him the new creation. Jesus said when he was on earth that the kingdom of heaven is with him and that it arrived with him. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, a verse that you all know, I'm sure, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. What's he talking about? He's talking about Isaiah 65. There is a new creation in you. The new creation has already dawned in you because Jesus has raised you from the dead by the same power that raised him from the dead. And so because Jesus has come, because he has been raised as the first fruits of the new creation, even though we look around, even though all we see around us is cursed, even though, even, even though we look in ourselves and we think, gosh, I still experience the curse on a daily basis, We don't see yet the new heavens and the new earth, but we do see Jesus, who has been crowned with glory and honor as the king of the new creation. And friends, God can hear your needs before you ever utter them because he has united you to his son. And just as he will hear the requests of Jesus, so he will hear your requests as you come in faith to him for help. And so, friends, we can rejoice in the new heavens and the new earth because it's already ours through faith in Christ. So let's rejoice together as we walk towards the day when our faith will be made sight. Amen. Father, we thank you for the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you that you have called us to it and that your call on our lives is irrevocable. We thank you that you have raised Jesus from the dead, that you have raised him to indestructible life, to never die again, to never experience the pain of death again, and that we can know by faith and trust in him that we will share in his resurrection when he returns that just as he has been raised from the dead, so will we. So Lord, on this Fulfillment Sunday, fill our hearts with hope for the new creation that is coming. Help us to walk in faith and trust with you, 
until that day when our faith is sight, when prayer will turn to praise, and we will stand before the throne of the Lamb and worship the Lamb who was slain. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to please stand. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.